0: I think that it is a movement in a sense that we feel empowered to continue that we feel that we are we will be closer to equity because that's that's what we're working on. I do think it's a movement. I also think that we are judged with with a different perception because it, it should just been a march. You should have you should just leave it alone. We I can't leave it alone. You know, I need equity. I need equality. I have two young boys that will grow up not knowing what that looks like, right? So um, for me, I can't leave it alone. It has to work itself beyond a march, whether I'm in the movement or not.
1: Emiliana Guarica, didn't find out she was in the country illegally until she became the first in her family of 12 brothers and sisters to apply for college. She grew up living a life of community activism, finding inspiration in her mother's passion for standing up for what she believes. And while Emmy always thought she could accomplish anything she wanted in the United States, she never dreamed that she'd be the person to spark what would turn out to be one of the most meaningful gatherings in US history. The Women's March on January 21st, 2017, was the largest single-day protest in U.S. history, with the turnout in Los Angeles on that day estimated to have brought out a record-setting 750,000 protesters. Emmy's story fits the classic hero's journey trope. Extraordinary circumstances around her upbringing, a call to adventure and duty, and a moment where she made the choice to cross that first threshold— into a point of no return. The end of the hero's journey? Well, according to mythologist Joseph Campbell, the hero returns home and helps restore freedom to their people, most often followed by a celebration, usually involving a dance party. Emmy helped breathe life into this massive display of passion and determination for change. The call was made, and hundreds upon thousands of people answered, so now what? How does this unsuspecting hero's story end? With a dance party? You'll have to tune in to find out. I'm Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune.
0: I'm Emiliana Guereka, also known as Emmy. I am an activist, um, a social entrepreneur.
1: Okay. So you have a pretty inspiring, amazing story. Uh, you're a first generation immigrant. Can you tell us a little bit about your story of coming to America?
0: Well, I don't know about coming to America, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I came when I was young. Um, I am one of 13 kids. I was brought here illegally by my parents, but you know, of course we don't This is not what we sat around and talked about, like, hey, we're here illegal. We just kind of go around through our day. Um, I didn't find out that I was illegal till I applied for university and figuring that process out and, you know, questioning what is going on. What is a social security card? Like, even just that. So, for me, I mean, we grew up poor and what people call the ghetto, um, you know, my parents still live there, we call it our community. So for me, I was the first one to attend university out of 13 and I'm the seventh. I'm the middle problem child. <laughs> <laughs> the um, middle of
1: 13, that's yeah, that's unique.
0: Well, I, I i mean, props to my mom. She's, I don't know how she did it. I mean, I'm struggling with two. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, but I grew up thinking I could do anything I wanted in the United States. And so far, I have. So um, that speaks to... You know the, the
1: the promise of the dream. The
0: promise of the dream. Yes, I mean, I think everybody has a different dream, right? And how they get there is is different as well. But for us, it was about having a choice, and yeah. I think it still is about that.
1: Yeah, and about the ability to leave greater opportunity to future generations.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think our parents came out here for themselves. It was, we came for our kids. We wanted to give our kids a better life, a better opportunity, yeah. for sure.
1: So you went to school here in L.A., right?
0: No, oh. I went to school in Chicago. Oh,
1: you went to, okay.
0: Yes. So when people talk about, you know, the gun violence in Chicago and this or that, I'm like, oh, yeah. We see that. We still see that. I mean, I grew up in Chicago. I moved to Los Angeles to finish school at UCLA. I was involved in anything entrepreneurial. <laughs> 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 I mean, I've I've uh, grown restaurant chains where I've waited tables. Um, I currently own an event production company that produces uh, major, major music festivals. I've owned a gift basket company. I mean, (laughs) if a friend says, would you do this with me? I say yes.
1: (laughs) So growing up, had you been to marches?
0: Absolutely. I've always been to women's marches across the country. I've been to some in Argentina, in Peru, in Mexico, where most of the time women were out there marching for their kids' rights. So I was familiar with with marching and and a little bit of activism, but I didn't think I was an activist, right? I just thought, well, I'm going to go march. I believe in what they're doing, and and that's what we did. I mean, my mom was always very involved in her community.
1: So in some ways, that was the perfect storm for you because you knew about producing events, and you knew all about the logistics that go into that from permitting to security and police and parks and all of that. Uh, And then you also grew up going to marches and also live in an activist household. Then come 2016, tell me about the kind of first the germination of the idea to have the LA Women's March and how that got started initially and... (laughs) how that might have changed.
0: <laughs> I slightly. think it started with a feeling of what happened like uh, but also coming from a perspective of being an immigrant and going through that year of the rhetoric that was out there there was no way that this person would be elected right but also as an entrepreneur as a female entrepreneur I've I've been passed up by opportunities because uh, I do have two kids. Will you be available? So all of that sort of played a role in me um, deciding to organize an L.A. march. So I saw the Facebook post for a D.C. march. And being Mexican, I thought, Ugh, we're going to get left out of the entire thing again. So for me, it was really clear that I needed to organize something in L.A. I didn't know anybody organizing the one in D.C., so I sent them a Facebook message saying, hey, I'm going to lead the one in L.A. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) they responded with like, who are you? (laughs) Um, So
1: give me, uh, put this in a little time context. So does... This idea to have the march, did that happen before or after the results of the election?
0: The day after. The day after. Right, the day after. Probably the night of. I think I opened the Facebook page the night of. I applied for permits on November 9th. Um, <laughs> so you had yeah. just
1: over two months right. to pull off
0: something a pretty that large a gig. Yes, something that should take a year. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we weren't going to be deterred, and I think... As the week progressed, a week, I mean, we're talking a week of 30,000 people saying they would join you. Mm-hmm. I mean, so for me, there were more people that were feeling the way I felt. Like, what What am I doing as a citizen and what am I going to do to make a difference?
1: And so then take us to that day, January 21st, 2017. You wake up in the morning. (laughs) You probably never went to sleep, right? I'm going to
0: take you the day before it rained in LA, like poured, where media and we had emails of, it's not going to happen. It's it's a bust. It's Mm -hmm. not going to happen. The day I was out there at three in the morning organizing and remembering the sun coming up, like, it's going to happen because we started seeing people show up at 5 a.m., even though we weren't going to walk till 10. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, The day was like, people, for me, people came out even before media, which is huge in L.A. (laughs) because they're out there. Um, So just seeing people congregate, people stepped in the day before to see what we needed Um, because we were actually camped out at Persian Square. I mean, we were... People brought snacks, ponchos. So just like seeing it swell like that the day before was when I knew people were going to come out, rain or shine.
1: And this is all volunteer-led at this juncture. (laughs) (laughs) You're laughing.
0: (laughs) All volunteer-led. We are all volunteers, still are.
1: Yeah. So give us a sense for the scale of what happened that day, both... In, in Los Angeles and, and globally?
0: Well, for us in LA, I remember getting the signed permits and, and I put down half a million people, attendees, just so that all social services would be on so that everyone would be safe. And I did have some LAPD officers laugh at me. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Like, no Are there some
0: extra zeros? Did you mean 5,000? I said, no. So, you know, walking away with that, but then like the fact that women were leading this was very important. The fact that women across the globe were were coming out. um, And it was at the end of the day, it was about political power. It was about socioeconomic power. And a lot of people came out for different reasons, but at the end, it was women and equality.
1: Yeah, and in L.A., I think you've got about 800,000 people, is that correct?
0: Correct. 750,000 was our last number from the fire department.
1: From the fire department. And then globally, there were 600-some-odd events and what what was the aggregate participation on a global
0: So the last numbers we have were that it was five million. But when we've seen aerial photos, we're like, no way. <laughs> is this you know so yeah, the last number we have is five million.
1: And would that make January twenty first, twenty seventeen, the biggest single day protest in history?
0: Yes. As of now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and of that day, the gathering here in Los Angeles was that was that the biggest.
0: The gathering in Los Angeles was the biggest. Yes.
1: Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long way from a Facebook post, post on November 9th.
0: Right. I didn't we didn't expect it to be the biggest, but what we did expect it to be was the most diverse cuz mm-hmm. we mapped out each of the neighborhoods and we mapped out the entire LA area right and so like for someone to say to me you know LA was the most diverse I was like yes because we are as you know as a city.
1: So, what was the agenda going into the march? And then, you know, then you've brought together all of these people and created this sort of high point of collective joy and energy. Um, And then people, you know, wake up the next morning and that fight needs to continue. So maybe you could talk about what was the purpose of the march going in, and then how do you sustain that purpose on January 22nd and on?
0: Right, right. Uh, So first we had to do the cleanup the day after. (laughs) That was awful. Start with the cleanup. Um, Like, oh, okay, there's a news van in front of my house. (laughs) The city calling me that I'm responsible to clean up and clean up all around. But um, so for... For us, the purpose to come out was to actually put this administration, what people would call a check. We are watching. Yes, you have been elected, but the rhetoric that has been out there will no longer be accepted, right? We will hold our politicians accountable. You know, I'm just thinking back to to it was protests and, and, and marches that stopped the Vietnam War, it was students. So for me, it was really clear that if we wanted to affect what was going on, that we needed to be out there and we needed to be vocal about it and we couldn't back down, right? So I think for me, it was really clear that that if we were to hold the administration accountable, that we needed to voice that. Yeah.
1: So there's there's kind of the optics of the show of force. Like, we're not going to take this passively. Perfect. We're not going to take this lying down. We're going to hold you accountable every day. And here we are, for five million of us. Um, and that but, can't be ignored. No. But then on top of that, was there a specific kind of legislative agenda associated with it? Were there particular policies that then came forth either before or after the march of like, okay, well, here's, here, here's a platform that goes with this movement?
0: Well, I don't think we were thinking about it as we were organizing. We weren't. We we organized so organically that we weren't out there thinking about policy. We were more thinking about how are we going to keep our community safe? Because we were afraid that whatever was talked about was going to happen. And now as we see, is happening, right? The immigrant rhetoric, the the female rhetoric, right? So I think that That for us, we didn't have that as part of our organizing tools. But what we did know was that we wanted more women in political office. Women are 51% of the population. We don't represent that in our government. So for us, it was more of how do we move this forward? And unless we're building political power, we're going to continue not to have a say. So post March, we have been working towards getting more people elected to local office, to state office, and then national. So I think that's more of what we're working on.
1: Got it. And I think you've seen there's record levels of women running for office. Yes. And that's exciting. Yeah. That's very exciting. And so that, I guess, speaks, I'm interested, the almost kind of now also on a meta level around marches and why people march, what the societal importance is of these kinds of mass gatherings as it pertains to kind of the role of the citizen, the rights of citizenship. Can you talk about that?
0: I think people march for a common cause. I think originally people would march for a common cause. I think people march now to sort of show their discontent, but also to hold people accountable But then moving forward, how how are people going to, you know, plug into the system? Because as as a citizen, at some point, you feel a little bit powerless. There's, you know, there's these politicians making these, these policies that may affect me negatively. So I think most people that march... End up volunteering in some sort of organization in some capacity to change things, and I think that that's the importance of the march. That it's not it's not just people going out to march. What happens post-march is the importance, which is women running for office, which is you know people signing petitions, which is people volunteering in in, in different organizations, and that's the important take away from marches.
1: Oh, that's interesting. It's almost uh, like the, the role that marches play in the political process is almost like as a, as a spark. Yes. It's like you come and experience something collectively that's so intense that then you're motivated to take that personal to responsibility take, yes. into your own life.
0: Yes, my mom calls it pain to power. You go out and you march in this pain and you turn it into power. And so collectively, everyone usually shows up with their demands. But as you meet other people, you figure out a way to move forward and sometimes to just heal, to be honest, to heal as to with what is going on. Mm-hmm.
1: So you started specifically for the LA Women's March uh, and you might have thought that, on January 22nd, you'd have your life back. Um, <laughs> but that's not what happened.
0: So even as we organized the LA March, we helped 22 chapters across California um, organize a march that day because I had a little bit of experience with permits and insurance and all of that logistics. So I brought that in um, to these 22 chapters. And then post-march, I really I thought I could go back to just (laughs) running my business and and doing that. But I think that as a citizen in this current climate, that I owe more to the planet to do more. And I I also think that it's it's a little interesting that although we're very new at it, we're now sort of the veterans. Like almost every March emails or calls us to, to help. Right.
1: Not a market that you expected to corner necessarily. No, (laughs) not at all. So the tradition of marches in America is, is really interesting, and it goes back some ways. And I'm wondering what kind of inspiration you drew from other marches that had happened in the past, and were there particular ones that stood out for you as... Examples for either good or for for bad.
0: I think there's a there's a lot of them. Um, the Argentina March, uh, where these women march for their lost kids. I mean, they're still doing this every week. And so now I'm equating that to the immigrant marches, like we're still, there's still kids that aren't reunited, right? And then I'm thinking of the Black Lives Matter movement who started as a march and is decentralized, right? And so how how do we learn from all these marches? Um, I think we touched base on most of the marches traditionally were organized by men as well as organizations. And so for us, how do we turn from this march into a movement and continuing that so that we don't just disappear?
1: Yeah. You know, I I think what was really um, amazing about the first Women's March and, and subsequent ones were how many there were across the United States. There was over 400 just in the United States. And I know that, and some that were quite large and then others that were probably very small and un, potentially under and under-resourced. Um, and I think it's, you know, it's been really interesting the role that, you know, that you've played um, in terms of creating best practices and toolkits that essentially empower people in their local communities to be able to organize people, organize marches, um, civil disobedience, public protest. How did you go about putting that together, and do you feel like that is helping people with their organizational skills as now you've seen a year and a half or so since that time?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think when I we originally put together a toolkit, we were a little naive. <laughs> I mean, we had to revisit. Um, we didn't expect there to be so much want for it. I thought I would put this toolkit together for these people that sort of reached out to me via social media or online. What I didn't expect was to send out 2,000 copies to different emails, people that wanted to organize across different states, Um, you know, someone from Indiana reaching out and saying, hey, my permit's $50, how should I fundraise? I'm thinking, okay, here's a toolkit, I want you to do this. I I think she had like 5,000 people show up. Wow. So that's the power of of technology and spreading out information. And I think for most people, post-march, when we talk about, did the toolkit help you? Absolutely. It gave them framework, but also they realized that everything was there and they were going to move forward with it because they almost felt embarrassed to say, I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: right. It's, it's, uh, yeah, some form, you could gamify it. <laughs> right. um, well, I think, you know, this is, this is part of what we need right now, because I think as you alluded to earlier, it's so easy to become paralyzed and numb in the face of the enormity of society's problems. I think people look in the, in the mirror all the time. And they say, what, you know, what can I do? the idea of organizing a march in your hometown might seem like way, way too big. It might be, seem way too daunting. But really, it, there's just this list of actionable steps that you can employ to organize people around shared passions and shared beliefs and a shared cause. But also, I think the service that you provide by doing that is one of incredible personal empowerment where people can say, This is not something that's happening to me. I am part of this and I can be part of the solution. And now I've got the tools to empower me to do that.
0: Absolutely. And being part of your community is also being a solution for your community, right? You are, if you organize your community, it's sort of like opening up this other world for yourself. I've had people say, Well, I put it together. And I didn't realize that what they thought was a weakness ends up being a strength, right? I think someone said, well, I'm just a writer. Well, you're not just a writer. You just put together this entire marketing plan for us. You just helped, you yeah. know? <laughs> um, so, th- em- like, the empowerment that comes from participating in your community is is insane. Yeah.
1: So you started this as an event, or now a series of events. Is it really a a movement for you, is that what it is?
0: Growing up, I don't think anyone came to my class to register me to vote and talk about a march, right? I think that it is a movement. I mean, I think that we just did a summer of resistance where 300 girls showed up to talk about what it would look like to run for political office. You're talking between 16 to 21. Hmm. I didn't have that growing up. So I think that it is a movement in a sense that we feel empowered to continue, that we feel that we are we will be closer to equity because that's that's what we're working on. I do think it's a movement. I also think that we are judged with with a different perception because it, it should just been a march. You should have you should just leave it alone. we I can't leave it alone. You know, I need equity. I need equality. I have two young boys that will grow up not knowing what that looks like, right? So um, for me, I can't leave it alone. It has to work itself beyond a march, whether I'm in the movement or not. The goal is that there are 51% of girls need that.
1: God bless you for what you're doing. Thank you. The right to assemble is a human right recognized in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. Over the course of our democracy, millions upon millions have taken to the streets and lifted their voices. Whether you're a veteran organizer or have never worked on a march before, you can learn more by taking Emmy's course about how to organize a march with impact at www.onecommune.com. I'm Jeff Krasno. And thanks for listening to today's episode of the Commune Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. We have new episodes airing every Tuesday. I'll see you next week.